0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right. You may have a seat, but there's some special instruction. As you have a seat, I want you to sit beside your spouse, all right? Sit beside your spouse, unless there's a reason you can't, okay? Okay? And that doesn't include, I had a fight on the way to church this morning, okay? So I want you to, I want you to sit beside your spouse if you can this morning, and uh, you'll, you'll see why. In a moment, but uh, really thankful to be back uh, with you guys this morning. I do want to welcome those who are joining us online this morning. For if you're uh, joining us online for one reason or the other, we're thankful to have you. And um, if you don't have a church home, we'd encourage you to uh, to find one. If this is a good one for you, then uh, we'd love to see you here someday. Um, so, got to go to Ontario last weekend. It was uh, 20 Celsius there uh, last weekend. So. A little different than here, but just a really great time uh, with our brothers and sisters who are part of the Great Commission Collective. I got to preach at two different churches and then uh, be a part of the conference together. Uh, and it really was a, a major uh, focus on the Canadian aspect of the GCC. There were a few Americans there, but, and uh, actually there were some internationals as well, which was fun, uh, some Romanians and people from Greece and Mexico, but uh, just a great, great time together. Well, we're going to get back into the book of Genesis this morning, and I want to just kind of reset where we've been at. We, we, uh, last time we were in the book of Genesis, we were looking at uh, day six and the events. Uh, we're told uh, what happened is specifically in the Garden of Eden as you get into Genesis chapter two, and we see what God's kingdom ought to look like, uh, God's people in God's place with god's provision for god's purpose under god's protection and uh, adam is placed in this beautiful garden of eden uh, where god would uh, would walk uh, as we will find out in genesis 3 he would they would be able to come into his presence and uh, he's given this this bounty regards to options for food and protection, and then he's given some specific instruction that he is to keep the garden, that is, he's to keep it protected, that he's to keep the words of God, and that he's to live a life of a worshiper. And so this is where we find ourselves this morning as we get ready uh, for this passage on marriage. We're still in day six right? And, and the day is not done. By the end of the day, we read in Genesis chapter 1, God will declare that it is very good. But we find before he did that, during day 6, he's seen something that was not good. And... Um, Uh, More for man's sake than for God's sake, obviously being all-knowing and knowing what he was about to do. He is setting up this need. There's a man who's alone, but he needs someone. He needs a companion, and God is going to provide that for him. Uh, This morning, marriage is, I want you to remember that marriage is a gift from God. Why don't you just turn to your spouse right now? Just look in their eyes. Do you remember that first day you met? <laughs> Lots of laughter, okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, I don't remember. That was too long ago. Um, what you have is a gift from God. And I get that there are days, maybe there's even weeks where you don't feel that. There are times when you're angry, you're frustrated, you're hurt you've miscommunicated. Two sinners living together at times can be really difficult. But I want you to hear this morning that marriage is a gift from God, and we need to put marriage in the place that God places it. This morning, you may have had that argument on the way to church this morning. You may be regret, like, like resenting that I've asked you to sit beside your spouse this morning. You may, you may not be in a good place. There's a lot of things that happen under our roofs that nobody else knows about. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to remember that you can't go back 10 minutes ago. You can't go back an hour ago, but you can start changing today. You can start changing right now. The trajectory of your marriage some of you are treading water you're just trying to survive that's not a great place either and then some of you are enjoying marriage the way that god wants you to enjoy it the way that he designed it to be and and you're having a great morning and 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 we praise god for that and i want us to hear but by the end of this if we understand what the text is saying that we can all be in that place praising God for the gift of marriage and striving together to bring glory to the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, if you're single here this morning, I see some teens, all right, you're like, well, I guess I'll check out for the next hour or whatever on this guy preaches because he preaches a long time. Listen, most of you will get married statistically that's the case most of you will get married some of you are like "No, nah, you know you're 19 and right now and i'm never getting married Yeah, you're probably getting married <laughs> okay some have the gift like paul had right and it was a good thing paul paul says hey if god has given you that ability to stay single then you do that and you serve god with without distraction and and, and do it wholeheartedly But the reality is most of you will get married, and and many single people here today are desiring that. And so I want you to hear what does God expect of you in regards to marriage. You need to hear what God's Word says because you're getting all kinds of lies about marriage, about sex, from the world. And it's literally destroying us. The trajectory that we're on in Canada and the United States is not a good one. What, what we have right now will not be here 50 years from now if we continue with the way we're going. And it's largely in part to our turning back from what God's Word says about marriage and family. And we're, we're seeing the fruit of it over and over again. And so we want what God wants. And we understand here this morning there were a bunch of sinners who like to do what the flesh likes to do, And so what we need to do first is pray and ask God that he would change our hearts to sit under his authority and to see that it is good. So let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful for this gathering together this morning. God, as we think about uh, this text in Genesis, God, we, we understand this is such an important passage for us this morning. We are being told so many lies about what marriage is, about how sex should be enjoyed and god we pray that you would protect us from those lies god i pray for our young people here today would you protect them for those who have sinned and we're none of us have not god but for any who have sinned sexually for any who have uh, right now are really struggling in their marriages god i pray god would you give them your grace would you Help them to remember that you are a gracious, a merciful God, that if we repent of our sin that you are quick to forgive, and then, Lord, to help us to walk in your ways. So, Lord, help us, all of us here this morning, to to walk in humility before you. Lord, help us to get rid of our own ways and help us to submit joyfully to your ways. For your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we all need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning, just go ahead and slip up your hand, And uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. If you don't have a Bible, just keep the one they're going to give you. But if you somehow got out this morning without it, you were too busy shoveling snow, put up your hand, they're going to give you a Bible. We're going to read together Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. And we read, Then the Lord God said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This morning, as we break down the text, we're going to see four facets of marriage given to us by God. First, we see this. He provides a prepared companionship. God provides a prepared companionship. After instructing Adam as to what his role was to be in the garden, how he was to, to, to serve the Lord God, we see the theme of God's provision continuing. He declares that it is not good for the man to be alone. In fact, we could say it like this, it was bad for Adam to be alone. This need is highlighted in, in the Hebrew, it, it's put right at the beginning of the sentence, not good. It's not good that Adam would be alone. God has created us to want and desire companionship. We are social beings. This is the way God has made us. And and so he sees that that, that he needs someone like him, but different from him. And so the Lord states, I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the Lord intends to make someone who will be a complement to the man. You could translate this phrase, a helper, as opposite of him. And she is to come alongside Adam. Adam is to lead, and Eve is to be the helpmate in what God has commanded Adam to do. Together, they will bring glory and honor to the Lord. This is the pattern that God has set for us. Note, this is pre-fall. Right, The idea of roles in the family are pre-fall. They are something that God has given us, and it is a good thing. Walkie says this about uh, Eve being created as a helpmate. God creates the woman to help Adam. That is to honor his vocation, to share his employment, and to respect the prohibition. The word help suggests that the man has governmental priority but both sexes are mutually dependent on each other If you think about it they they are to operate like this they are to be a fit for one another a complement for one another this is the way god has created men and women to operate together if we are wondering whether the word helper is some kind of derogatory term is mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament, 16 of them, it's said of God, God as the helper. And so this is not a lesser role, but it is a vital role for men and women to flourish as God has designed them to flourish. She is to be the perfect complement to him. But before creating the woman, it is though God wants Adam to understand the need, Right? that he might be appreciative of what he is giving him. And so he first has him go and name all the beasts of the field, the livestock, and the birds. The fish, I guess, kind of get figured out all later on, right? It's pretty hard to bring the fish to them. That would not have been a good thing, right? And so so he names the animals. He's doing what was commanded in Genesis chapter 1 he's he's having authority over creation by naming them but as he does so he's noticing something where's the fit for me there's all these animals and they seem to have a fit for them but where is the fit for me where is the one like me appreciated one of the guys yesterday we have this leadership group and he's like you know in our society pets there's never been a bigger market for pets right i mean people love animals and but it's not the same right it's not the same Uh, you you can love your dog you can love your cat but we as humans need one another to actually have a conversation now you can believe your dog or cat understands you that's great but they can't communicate back to you right we need that companionship, and that's the way God has created us to be as uh, human beings. Matthew says this God has created human life to have fellowship with Him, but also to be a social entity, building relationships with other human beings. Man will not live until he loves, giving himself away to another on his own level. Isolation is not the divine norm for human beings. Community is the creation of God. And this is, again, the foundations of who we are as people. God has created us to have community. And for most of us, as I mentioned at the beginning, marriage will be that primary relationship that we all have. And so we read in verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed, it up in its, closed up its place with flesh. The first surgery happens right away, right? On day six of creation, he's put into a deep sleep, just like happens with you and I today, right? You hope you're in a deep, deep sleep before they start cutting you open, right? And so we have the same picture here. Adam is asleep. And God opens them up, and, and we read that in the English we read, it takes one of his ribs. So men have one less ribs than, than a woman. Is that true? That is not true, okay? If anybody tells you that, it's not true, okay? Uh, that's been kind of passed around. In fact, I believed it for a short time, okay? Okay? I was like, uh... Um, but this is what he does, and, and, and actually in the Hebrew, this word for rib, it's only translated rib here. Usually, it's just translated side, and so you could have been literally, we're not sure what he's taking out of there, but, but we read in verse 23, it's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, so maybe a rib, maybe some flesh in there as well, but he's taking from the side, then he closes it up. He's literally taking from Adam to create uniquely the woman is created. We read the animals. They came from the dirt as well. We, if you'll remember, the last time we were in the book of Genesis, we see this intimate picture of God creating man, breathing life into him. And now we see women Women, women are created uniquely as well. Casuda says this, just as the rib is found at the side of the man and is attached to him, even so, the good wife, wife, the rib of her husband, stands at his side to be his helper counterpart counterpart, and her soul is bound up with his. There's a lot of different commentaries see that kind of picture that, that it's, it's not by mistake that she's coming from the side, right? Not from the feet. Men, men aren't to trample on women, not from the head. Women aren't to rule over men, but from the side. They are to be this perfect compliment and then we see verse 22 that the lord that the rib that the lord god had taken from the man he made into a woman and then he says this and brought her to the man right that must have been a pretty exciting moment for adam right i mean he he had spent the day trying to find a counterpart to him and had not found one and now god brings woman to man the first marriage is a arranged marriage. Okay, uh, not on like many societies still do today. We're a little different here in North America, largely. But um, God brings Eve to Adam. It's a gift from God. He knows exactly what Adam needs, and He makes a woman fit for him. Matthew says this, God creates the man first and derives the woman from the man to ensure that she is his equal in substance and to maintain the unity of the human family. And so, as he brings her to him, he continues the naming, right? We see this in verse 23, but it seems like there's a little bit more excitement as he says this, right? Verse 23, then the man said, this is at last, right? He's like, okay, here she is. This is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew language, you see that this is poetic, right? Pretty, pretty amazing that, that Adam instantly becomes a, po- a, 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 a poet when seeing his wife and and as has been the case over the centuries since adam there have been many men write songs write poems out of their love for their spouse and so we see this 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 he's had this anticipation of her at last she is here and he says that she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh this phraseology can also mean as you look at other parts of genesis that she is my kin she is my family, but we know in this case, she is literally bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? So she's family. She, she, is, she is together with him, and now together, they are to walk in obedience to God's commands. What were those commands? If you just flip back to Genesis 1, 28. and God blessed them, and God said to them, note, they're already together in Genesis 1 account. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the, flip, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's plan. This is God's design. Men and women are equal and yet different. They are to have children together. They are to subdue the earth together. And together together. They are able to bring glory and honor to God. This is the purpose of their marriage. Again, spouses, married couples. Do you remember when God first brought your spouse to your attention? Right? Was your reaction like Adam's? Were you pretty excited? That day you're like,'re you're not, you're not I don't know, but I'm pretty excited. Everyone here has a unique story as to how you met and how you got to the point where you believed that God was calling you both to covenant to do life together as a married couple. Everyone has their stories. And single people, you will have your story, right? Mine took till 29. I didn't know when my story was happening, right? But it came, and I was so thankful. This morning, I want to remind you that God has given you your spouse, why? So that you can achieve together what you would never be able to achieve on your own. Better together. Better together as one, as, we're, as we've already read in Genesis. Men and women, are you embracing this as a reality? Or are you too busy complaining that your spouse is not like you? It's really a crazy thing, isn't it? Why does she think like this? Why does he do it like that? Because we're created differently. Uh, You may have noticed that. Okay? We're created differently, and it's a really good thing. Right? We're pretty excited about that sexually, but we should be really excited about that in every way in our marriage. Right? That our emotions are different, but they're complementary. That, that our spiritual lie journeys are, are individual and yet we are growing together spiritually as we look to the Lord. That, that when we work together and we think through something together, it's a really good thing. We uh, had an opportunity to have lunch with a, a church planning couple um, this last weekend, or this last week when I was at the conference. And uh, this guy, the guy was just like, he, he would burn himself out in like three seconds, okay? He's that kind of guy. He, he You know, he, let's take the world for Jesus, you know, we'll sleep later. You know, that's his MO in his wife. Guess what she's like? Cautious. Do you think maybe they're good together if they embrace the fact of her caution, which will make him not burnt out, and his going hard for it will help draw her along? Like, everybody is... Everybody in your marriages, I want you to understand that your differences are a compliment. They are a good thing. So stop complaining about them and realize that God is bringing you together as one. Your goal as a couple is what? To bring glory to God in all that you do. To die to self and to live for God. This morning, praise God for his provision of your spouse that he has prepared, prepared for you and for his de- declaration that it was not good that you would remain alone. If you're married here today, that was the same declaration that God made for you. It's not good that they're alone. That guy's gonna die at 30 if he keeps eating what he's been eating, okay? It is not good that he's alone. Maybe one last word before we move on to the next point. If you're single here this morning, what, you, what should you be looking for in a future spouse? Do you know? Sometimes our lists, if we're being honest, especially married people who can help you with this, your lists are ridiculous. <laughs> well, they gotta like the Oilers. <laughs> you know? They gotta, and which is uh, for sure, they should. But. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's all these like likes and dislikes. You know, they got to be a vegetarian or they got to have, you got to be this tall or you got to have this color of eyes or like. The thing you need to look for in a spouse, do they love Jesus? That is by far the thing that you're looking for before anything else. And married couples will tell you, if. Your spouse loves Jesus more than anything else. You can get through anything together. The the likes, the dislikes, they, they all fade away. But a spouse who loves the Lord, that's who you want to go for. And so I want to just encourage you guys, as you're thinking about, Lord, I want to get married someday, be looking for that person. And by the way, be that person. Like, if you want to marry a man or a woman who is godly, you be godly. And you hold that bar high. Do not lower the bar when it comes to godliness. I can tell you after over 30 years of being around the church and ministry, you will regret it. You will regret it. I was just so lonely. I was just so lonely. I, I, you know, And this guy, he liked me, and he said... He was going to come to church with me. How well does that usually turn out? Not good, right? So, seek someone who's godly when you're not watching. you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? Like, what are they doing when you're not around? Are they pursuing Christ? That's the one you're going for, okay? All right. Secondly, as we think about Four facets of marriage given to us by God. We see a prepared companionship. Secondly, we, he presumes, God presumes a preeminent change, a preeminent change. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and, and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The author is, is saying that, that when you get married, things need to change. Now, just, just a, a, a grammatical note here. This is the narrator now speaking. This is not flowing out of what Mo, uh, Adam just said. This is, this is actually Moses saying, this is now how marriage will be for as long as we're on this earth. So, what is the pattern to be? That the day you say, I do, everything changes in regards to your priority of your relationships. Before you get married, Sons and daughters ought to honor their fathers and mothers. That should be their number one priority, is to to help mom and dad, to take care of mom and dad, to to submit to their authority. But when you get married, that all changes. You're now forming your own home. You, You are now focused and obligated on your spouse. This is the way God has created things to be the first fight or two or three of your marriage who who do you have on quick dial right probably mom or dad don't do that don't do that you 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 you're, you're going to keep Problems on your marriage if you keep going to your parents to deal with your marriage problems. When it comes to your marriages, what you need to do is deal with it together. And when you speak of your spouse to anyone else, how are you to speak of them? With honor and with respect. That's how you should speak of them. Right? No, in the Christian world, no ball and chain. Right? No ogre talk. We speak respectfully about our spouses, right? Some of you can relate. But your number one relationship is now your spouse. Now, in a church like ours, maybe that's not the thing you're wrestling with when it comes to the priority of your relationship. Maybe the fact that we have a gazillion kids down the hallway is your problem, and let's be honest, you, know, you get married and, 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 you know, it's a bit of a shock because you thought you were a good person and now that you're living with another sinner, you realize actually I'm not as good of a person as I thought I was. I I'm actually am pretty selfish, but God's working on that in me. And so you, you have this time to focus on one another and it's really sweet. There's no one distracting you, right? But then the baby comes along and it's an awesome, precious gift from God. Isn't it? But what happens? They're a lot of work, and and what's crazy is that you think they're a lot of work when you have that newborn, you know, in those first two days, you know, and it's just you two and the baby, and you can sleep when they sleep if you want. But then you add another one in, and it's like, oh, actually, this is harder now. And then you add another one in, and, and apparently after three, it doesn't matter, right? This is chaos. And, and what happens if we're being honest, Christians, if we're being honest, we can have our lives focused on our children for like 20 years, right? You, you, you start, you, you only have two kids, you got at least 20 years that they're going to be your focus, and you run into hockey and gymnastics and piano and this and that, and your life is just chaotic. And, and what happens is that you, you, you're more like a roommate situation with, uh, with your spouse, and you, you, you kind of like, you, you don't prioritize your relationship as you ought to. And what inevitably happens, you know where the divorce rate goes up at that 20-year mark? because what happens is that that couple who has been doing life together have grown apart they they don't even know who each other are anymore because they haven't taken time to focus on their relationship with one another and if your life is so busy that you don't have time for one another start cutting stuff You know what your kids need more than they need gymnastics or piano or anything else? They need a mom and dad who love each other a lot. Who they see are making each other a priority. When the kids are young, put them to bed. Kids being up till 9 or 10 or like 8 o'clock bedtime. I don't want to go into bed. Too bad. Mom and dad need time together. Right? And you tell them that. Mom and dad need time to focus on one another. You have to continually be prioritizing your time with one another. As you go through your day, take time for a hug, take time for a kiss. In front of your kids, that's okay. They should see that you love one another. You're modeling what a marriage ought to look like. Go on date nights. Spouses, are you doing that right now? Are you focused on the fact that your most important relationship is with your spouse? That's the priority. Is it looking like that as you go through your week? If it's not, then you need to change things. God calls us to leave and cleave. This brings us to our third point. Four facets of marriage given to us by God. He prescribes a permanent commitment. A permanent commitment. Let's read 24 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Hold fast. What does that indicate? That there is some effort needed. There is is some intentionality needed. And as you do that, you become one flesh. When him says this, this phrase uh, for, for holding fast, it suggests both passion and permanence. That this should characterize marriage. The use of the terms leave and hold fast in the context of Israel's covenant with the Lord suggests that the Old Testament views marriage as a kind of covenant. And we still see that today. You, you, you stand before witnesses and before God and you covenant with one another that you will live out your days together until death do you part. This is God's plan for marriage. This is his desire for marriage. And as you do, the two become one. And God's design for sex is that it is between one man, one woman, in the context of marriage for life. That is how it is to be. It's the way God's designed it, and it is a really great plant. And we see from the fall on, from Genesis 3 on, you, you, as we're going to highlight this as we go through the book of Genesis, but you see how sex is misused and twisted and the destruction that comes about from that over and over and over again as you go through the book of Genesis. And we're still seeing it today. Matthew says this, without proper limits, families ceased, and the consequence was the undoing of Israel as a nation, and the same fate suffered by their predecessors. And as I've already said here this morning, it's going to happen to our nation as well. As families continue to get ripped apart and destroyed, it will destroy our culture. What well, we need to protect more than anything else in our culture. If you want to rant and rave about something on social media, do that about the family. And you celebrate what God says here in Genesis chapter 2, that this is a really, really good thing, and we ought to fight for it. By, by, by saying no to what the world would say in regards to sex, in regards to this, this, this fake idea of marriage we hold marriage to a high standard because God holds marriage to a high standard you think about this so called sexual revolution and what it has done to our society do people really look happier do, they, do, they really think, do we really think that this has turned out well for us as a society it hasn't, the proof is there over and over and over again, the proof is there, and, and, and so we are reminded this morning that God's ways are good. When you get married, you covenant for life. It is in this commitment that love flourishes. You're not going anywhere, right? In this world of dating, you know, you, you go out on a date, you don't like the person, see you later, right? Right? They, they, whatever, it didn't turn out. That's fine. But when you get married, you're in it for life. Is anyone else like me? I remember the first day that really hit me hard. It was not a good day in our marriage, right? I was super frustrated with Heather, and I was like, I'm stuck. <laughs> Which is a good reaction to have, right? Not like, I'm out of here. Never use the D word. Divorce never gets brought up. It's not an option. It's not an option. So you can either be miserable together for your life, or you can do marriage God's way. Those are your options. But you ought to be committed for life. If I could say this as a sign, because I don't know what happens under your roofs. If you're in an abusive situation... Then you get help. And if you need to get out of that abusive situation for a time, and that spouse who's doing the abusing is brought to an account, then then we need to do that. But what God desires is that be one man, one woman, living together in unity for life. It's important this morning that we remember that God hates divorce, it's His desire. That we remain committed to one another till death do us part. But he desires that we do it as one flesh. I remember reading this story about the, this couple. They've been made, married 80 years. Some incredible thing, married 80 years. And they start interviewing and talking to them about their marriage, and it's like, it's ridiculous. Like, he, she went to one church, he went to another, you know. He went and did his activities, she went and did hers. Like, they weren't really living together. They weren't really married, other than the fact that they never got divorced. You know what I'm talking about? They coexisted. And as good Christians, you could, you know, maybe you get to that point where you're like, well, I'm not going to get a divorce, but I'm never going to be close to that person again. That's just not a good way to go. Instead, we are to be one flesh, and we understand that, what that means physically, but... You are to be this way in every way. You're to be one in, in your planning every day. You're to, to be one in, in, in a spiritual way as you both seek the Lord together. You're to, to be one, one emotionally caring for one another. There are no longer two in your home. There is one. And so in your, in your every day, you're, you're, you're striving to, to serve the other person that you might grow in your Christ-likeness, that you might grow in your love for one another. This is what God desires. Again, I want to just embrace our single, or sorry, address our single people one more time. You're being lied to about sex. And I want to just encourage you, if you want the best, if you want what the world can never offer you, then you save yourself to your married to have sex, and then you have sex with your spouse for a lifetime. That's what's best. And I also want to say this if you have messed up, if you sin sexually, God forgives. And He would forgive your sin and He would make you new. And so you ask for forgiveness, and then you trust the Lord to give you that good gift in the context of marriage in the future. This is what God desires for you. And remember, when you do get married, it's for life, all right? It's for life, and it's a good thing. Last thing I want us to focus on before we close here this morning he produces a pre- precious confidant, a precious confidant. What, what I want us to see here is just how beautiful God intends this thing to be. We read in verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We see this perfect intimacy between Adam and Eve. Perfect we're seeing that this is also foreshadowing. We're going to get to end of Genesis 3. They were naked and they were ashamed. When sin comes into their lives, then everything is changed. But at this point, they have the perfect relationship. She's the Proverbs 31 woman in every way. He is loving his wife as Christ loves the church. It is is a perfect union. There is nothing to hide in this marriage. There, There is no shame. There is complete trust of one another. There is no blame game going on. It is just the way it ought to be, oneness together. But of course, we know what happens when sin comes into the world. Right away, right out the gate. The woman you gave me, God, she's the reason I sinned, right? The blame game begins. Mistrust, hurt, betrayal. The woman trying to usurping, usurp the man, the man trying to make the woman feel like nothing. So all these different things happening in, these, in, in, in marriages, even today, as two sinners live together, the fall has made marriage a lot harder. But if you're in Christ this morning, we can get back to the garden. This is what we ought to be striving for. God's original pattern for marriage. Together, your goal for your marriage is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. It is to keep short accounts of your wrongs against one another, to be quick to ask each other for forgiveness, to admit your sins to one another. It is to love as Christ has loved us. Ross says this, God intended one man and one woman to be united in marriage to produce godly offspring. God intended that the man and the woman be a spiritual, functioning unity, walking in integrity, serving God together, and keeping His commandments. When this harmony is operative, society flourishes under God's blessing. And we've seen that in times past. When people, when our, when our society does family the way God intends it, the society flourishes. So how do we have the marriage that God wants us to have? Let's end with this. Turn to Ephesians 5. I just want us to quickly look at this. Ephesians chapter 5, to be reminded that marriage, the way God intends it to be, is still possible today. Because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, we start in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We are to continue to live out the God-given roles that God has given us. Men are to lead as unto the Lord. They are to be servant leaders. Women are to walk in submission as unto the Lord. And, and, And put it like this. They submit to their husbands as they trust the Lord. Lord, you have placed this man over me to lead me. I will walk in submission to him. Does that mean that you... Can't throw in some advice? Uh, no, that does not mean that, right? You can, you can say, hey, I'm thinking this. What do you think, right? Conversations, right, right? This isn't like woman just like do whatever the man tells you to do. This is a picture of the couple working together in unity, but the roles men are responsible to lead their homes. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish it's crazy to me that our society seems to think that the woman has a short end of the stick okay but do we understand what the man is called to do love how sacrificially the model love your wives as christ loved the church how did he love the church Well, He gave his life up for her men that's your calling to love your wives as christ loved the church sacrificially in such a way that you're bringing about her holiness purifying her you're you're to be responsible for how she's doing spiritually to to encourage her in the ways of the lord and it says in verse 28 in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it cherishes that just as christ does the church because we are members of his body Now, think about what we just learned in Genesis 2 about the woman coming from the man, the one body. Now, this is something you probably never have heard in church before, but men, you are to love selfishly. Selfishly. What am I saying by that? You are to love your wife like you love yourself because she is now one with you. She is united to you in every way. So everything that you would naturally do for yourself, you are to do for her. You are to care for her in every way, nourishing her, cherishing her. And then we read verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The command remains. You're committed for life. And then he says this. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. How incredible is that? Our marriages can point people to the fact that Christ loves his church. And as a church, we walk in submission to Christ's headship. And then lastly, it says this, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let each one of you. It is a personal responsibility. No husband or wife will be able to say on judgment day, I would have done my part if my spouse would have done their part. It's not going to go well for you. Each one of us are to fulfill what God has called us to do. And so, love, men. Enabling the woman to be who God intended her to be. Women, respect. Enabling the man to be what God intended him to be. In case... We're not aware of this. This can only be done through the power of the Spirit. Each and every day you wake up and say, God help me die to myself and live for you and live in such a way that I bring honor and glory to you through my marriage. Left to ourselves, when you're hangry, when you're having a tough day, you tend to lash out at your spouse. This ought not to be the way. We ought to have marriages as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. So here's how we're going to end this morning. I'm going to have the, the worship team come up. And I want us to pray. If you're with your spouse here this morning, you're going to pray with your spouse. If you're a single person, I want you just, to, I just to, I want you to take some time to pray as well. To, to pray for that future spouse, to, to pray that you would be the man or woman of God that God's calling you to be. Now, as you await the person that God will bring for you, that again this morning as a single person you would recommit to wait on God's plan for your marriage instead of trying to force something that would be less than what he has for you. But if you're married this morning, Here's some of the things I want you to be praying about. First, I want you to praise the Lord for the provision of the spouse that you have. Like, oh, I I married the wrong person. Uh, If you're married, you married the right person. right? No looking back. You're married, you're married. And so your focus is on that person 100%. And so praise God for the person that he's given you. I want you to recommit to make one another a priority in your life. In your daily commitments and your rhythms of life i want you to pray about striving to hold fast to one another to to live a life of oneness as god desires for you to to have times of intimacy with one another to to talk about what god's teaching you in your lives to discuss your fears and hopes like this is truly do life together as god has called you to I want you to pray about that together this morning. And I also want you to to acknowledge if there is sin against one another, that you would just acknowledge that right now. Look, I shouldn't have yelled on the way in this morning. I I lost my temper. It was sin. Would you please forgive me? So if you need to confess something to one another, you do that now as well. And then you just pray together and recommit to the Lord and to one another to have a life of love-focused on one another as God desires you to have for his glory, for his one for his honor. And so just take a few minutes now. You pray and then a moment I'll close this time in prayer. God thank you for the gift of marriage God I, I'm so thankful that you know where each couple is at this morning Lord you know their needs Lord you you know their, their troubles God I would just pray Lord that you would renew their love for one another and their love for you this morning that, Lord, um, they would commit to do marriage your way, Lord, they would be quick to die to self, that, Lord, they would understand that together they are better uh, better able, Lord, to, to bring you honor and glory in their lives. And so, God, I would pray, Lord, would you help each couple to have short accounts, of of sin in their life, that Lord, they'd be quick to ask for give forgiveness and 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 quick to ex- extend forgiveness. That Lord, that they would make you the priority first and foremost, and then when it comes to the relationships on this earth, that their their love for one another would be preeminent above all. And so, God, we're praying, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored in our marriages. God, we're praying this morning that as as people. Look at our marriages, Lord, that it would point them to you, Jesus Christ. Because it's only through Christ that we can have a marriage like we see in Genesis 2. And so God, to you be the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, Visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com